I want to share a message with you. It's called Hiding Place. And the reason why I want to share this message titled Hiding Place is because in Psalms chapter 32, verse 7, David said, God, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. See, David's hiding place was the presence of God. It was the sanctuary of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, a man by the name of King Saul was chasing David. He wanted to kill David. David was on the run. He didn't know where to go. And so he went to a city called Nob. Now, what was so significant about that particular city? In that city was the tabernacle of God. See, once again, the presence of God was David's hiding place. When things got tough, when the pressure came on, David always ran to the presence of God. I'm going to talk to you about this because everyone has to have a hiding place, a place where they run. Once again, David's hiding place was in the sanctuary. In Psalms 26 verse 8, he wrote down, I love the sanctuary of God because it's where his glorious presence dwells. It's the sanctuary of the Lord where his presence dwells. See, David would run to the presence of God. If you read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you'll read about men, kings, kings over Israel, kings over Judah, that when they got in trouble, if they were a man of God, they would run into the presence of God. I want to encourage you to identify exactly where your hiding place is and run there, run to his presence. Because when the storm comes and it will come, you have to know where you're going to go. My daughter, she's 15 years old and in four months she'll be able to drive. I am scared to death. She's a good driver. Uh, she's got one of those licenses where she can drive as long as there's an, a parent in the car. And so half of the time it's me, the other half of the time it's my wife. And she scares me to death because I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be calm while she's driving. She'll come up to a stop sign and she'll forget to look both ways. She'll look one way and go, okay, I'm ready to go. And then she'll just start going. And I'm like, Presley, for all that's good and holy, look left and look right. Don't just look right. Come on. You got four months to get good at this. Well, in four months, she'll be driving around. And what I suspect is she's going to come home one day and she's going to say, I've got a boyfriend. That's going to be a bad day because that's going to be the day where I pull out every single gun in my house and lay it on the table and call this young man in and say, do you see all these guns? I'm willing to go to jail. I need you to know that. You do something to Presley, I'm willing to go to jail. Um, but aside for that, one of these days, she's going to come in with the one. You know, daddy, he's the one. He's going to come in and he's going to sit down and he's going to ask me for her hand in marriage. At least he better 
Ask me. As a matter of fact, I want to go on record right now. If anyone proposes to my daughter and doesn't ask me first, the guns are coming out. Anyway, I'm glad that's on record because I I want every... Okay, all right, I'm over it, I'm over it, I'm over it. So when he sits down with me and he looks at me and he asks for my daughter's hand in marriage, I've already got my questions ready to go. I'm going to sit down with him and I'm going to say, when the storm comes and it will come, where do you go? And then my second question is going to be, young man, where do you get your strength from? I want to know, where does he go when the storm comes? Where do you get your strength from? Where do you get your strength from? Because if you're going to take care of my daughter and she's going to follow your leadership, I want to know where you're getting your strength from because the storm's coming. Everybody who's married knows that the entire marriage is not a honeymoon. A honeymoon lasts about 48 hours, maybe five days, six days, seven days, whatever. And then real life starts. And real life is not skipping through the tulips. Real life brings things like COVID-19. Real life brings ups and downs. It's not jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop. Real life has some valleys to it. Real life has some moments where you just say, God, where are you? And I want to know. Where did you get your strength from before you proposed to my daughter? Here's the thing. All of us have got to have a hiding place. And we have got to make sure that we go to that hiding place often. Sometimes your hiding place will be in your house. There'll be a closet. And you know that's where you run. You run to that closet and you worship him. Sometimes your hiding place will be right in the middle of your car. You'll be driving down Highway 45 and you'll turn the radio off. You'll throw the cell phone underneath your seat and you'll make your car a hiding place. And you'll begin to pursue the presence of God. You know, as you read scriptures, you see clearly that Jesus had a hiding place. If you read in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus was ministering to the multitudes... There were so many people around him. He was feeling so many, so, so many needs and so much pressure that he would escape to a hiding place. And in Luke chapter 5, his hiding place was the wilderness. But if you move forward and you start reading towards the end of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 28, his hiding place was in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And for those of you that paid attention to the scriptures and, and watched the Easter services and watched the Good Friday services, I, I just want you to know that the same garden that you may have heard about during the Easter season is the same garden that I'm talking about right now. It was one of his favorite places to pray. I've actually been to the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I went to Israel and, and I was there and it's an awesome place. It's, it's very interesting because it's not like the gardens that you have in, in your house or the gardens that we have here in Texas. They're a bunch of olive trees that are probably about 12 feet high 
olive trees everywhere. Just olive trees everywhere you can see, as far as you can see, olive trees. As far as I could tell, there were no other trees except for olive trees, which is probably, there's probably a message or a sermon in there somewhere. But when Jesus was in that hiding place of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 28, there were a few things that he said. There were a few things that he did that I feel like we could study, unpack, and grow from. There are three points that I want to bring out that Jesus did and Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his hiding place, if you will. The first thing is when Jesus walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, it's so fascinating to me because he was going there to pray, and when he went to pray, he threw himself on the ground and put his face on the ground. Now, you probably have prayed at least one time in your life. Many of you have prayed thousands of times in your life. Further, you've seen people praying. How many times have you seen somebody throw themselves down and put their face in the ground to pray? How many people do that? Who does that? Who prays like that with their face in the carpet, with their face on the floor? Let me tell you who prays like that. People who have experienced the revelation that passionate prayers ignites the power and favor of God. Passionate prayers. People who have discovered that God loves Passionate prayers pray with their face on the floor. People that have realized that God loves all prayers. He loves one word prayers. He loves one sentence prayers. He loves prayers over your cereal in the morning. But what really drives his heart towards you to move in passion and to move with favor is when somebody prays fervently. And Jesus knew that. He knew that in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's why he prayed fervently. I want to just take that first note, that first point in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus modeled. I want to challenge us all, even myself, as I'm listening to myself talk, I'm thinking, Frankie, make a mental note and do it all the more. Pray fervently, my friends. Pray fervently, my friends. I I know you can't pray fervently every single time you pray, but don't let too much time go by without praying fervently. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Psalms chapter 5 verse 3, it says, every single morning I wake up, I'll be back at it again, laying the pieces of my life on your altar, waiting for the fire to fall. In Psalm 63 verse 1, it says, oh God, my God, My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. I want you to know. I'm sorry I'm about to cry. I don't want 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 to cry. But when I begin to say these scriptures and I begin to feel those words come out of my mouth, just those simple scriptures, 
I can tell that the Lord is drawing close to me. Let me just share with you what I, those two scriptures or three scriptures that I just quoted, those scriptures are available to you and they're available to me to do what exactly, to do what just happened just now to me. When you pray fervently, when you say things like Psalms 42 verse 1, where you say, God, as a deer pants after water, so my soul pants after you. When you pray fervently like that, it causes the power and the favor of God to ignite in your life. That's the first thing that I want to share. And I'm sorry I cried, I don't, but it just happens. The second thing, the second thing, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll get myself together. Hold on, hold on. I'll get myself together. The second thing that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that I feel like we can learn from is when Jesus turned and he looked at Peter and he said this. He goes, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. It was like he was saying, temptation is coming. So I want you to pray before the temptation ever comes. See, Peter is just like you and I. There were things that, there were things about Peter's personality where they were strengths. But then he also had things in his personality that were weaknesses. And those weaknesses caused him to give into temptation particularly in Peter's case, he couldn't control his emotions. He had a a tendency to have these spike moments and just kind of blow up all of a sudden. And Jesus was looking at him and he's saying, hey, um, I I want you to, to pray because if you pray before you're tempted, you'll be able to walk through that temptation and not give in. But if you don't pray before the temptation comes, when the temptation does come, you're going to crumble. And what's so interesting is that even though Jesus passionately spoke to him and passionately preached to him, Peter still didn't pray that evening. He, He fell asleep. Uh, he, he couldn't pray. Even Jesus was like, can you just pray an hour with me? And, and he couldn't pray. Now, what happened just a few hours later? All of a sudden, the Roman guards came into this garden of Gethsemane and they grabbed Jesus and they began to manhandle him, to arrest him. And all of a sudden, Peter jumped up and lost it. He lost it. His, his emotions got out of control and he reached into his, his, his robe and he pulled out a sword. It, it's kind of like in today's world if, if somebody reached in their, their, their back belt and pulled out a gun. In those days, there were no guns. He reached into his, his robe and pulled out a sword and chopped the guy's ear off. Now, let me ask you, Let's just have an intellectual, honest moment for a second. Who takes a sword and aims for somebody's ear? He wasn't aiming for anybody's ear. He was aiming for the middle of his head, and he missed. He lost 
his mind. He grabbed the sword and tried to split somebody's skull wide open and missed. He was out of control. Why was he out of control? Why was he losing his mind? Because the temptation came and he didn't pray. Jesus did pray. When he told Peter to pray, he went off on the other side of the garden and prayed by himself. And so now we see a contrast between two people. One prayed and the other one didn't. And you say, well, that's the son of God. Let's remember, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. He prayed, and when he was in the exact same situation, Jesus was cool. Jesus was calm. Jesus was relaxed. This is what we've learned, that a sinful man eventually stops praying. But a praying man eventually stops sinning. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you with this. Let's take that principle out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Number one, let's pray passionately. Number two, let's pray before the temptation ever gets here. Number three, see, just before they arrested Jesus, just before the Romans grabbed his arm and tried to arrest him, Before that happened, Jesus was praying. And I'm so thankful because the scriptures actually record some of the sentences that he prayed. I find that to be such a precious gift from God. That the actual sentences, the actual words that Jesus prayed are in the Bible. Those personal moments. And this is one of the things that he said. He said, Dear Heavenly Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't want to go through this season. I know you've been there before. I've been there before where we've said, I don't like this season. Get me out of this season. I don't want to walk through this season. I want to be pulled out of this season. I don't like it. I don't like it. Sometimes we lose a, a job or lose a loved one or go into financial stress. Sometimes there's sickness in our body and we look at God and say, I don't want to fight this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with these family problems. Get me out of it. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't, I don't want to partake of this cup. You said, what cup was he referring to? Well, Jesus knew in just a few hours he was going to hang on the cross. And he said, I don't, I don't want to go through this. This is going to be hard. This is going to be painful. And then he said these words. He said, nevertheless, let your will be done. What was he saying? He was saying this. I don't want to go through this, but if I have to go through this, let something good come out of it. Let something good come out of it. Let your will be done. I don't want to go through this, but let something good come out of it. I don't know about you, but I can almost endure anything if I know something really good is on the back end of that season. I can almost get through it. But here's the thing. 
we don't get to know the plans of God. We can't see that far in advance. And so Jesus said, Lord, let your will be done. This is something that we have to remember. That in the midst of the most difficult seasons, there are rare opportunities. Rare opportunities are hidden in difficult seasons. Some of the most beautiful worship songs were written in the middle of a season when somebody was going through their own personal hell on earth, when they didn't know up from down, when they lost a loved one. Uh, Gemini Oaks on our worship team, she was praying to God over and over again, Lord, I want to get pregnant. Lord, I want to get pregnant. They had already had one child, but she really wanted another one. She went through months after months of longing and calling out to God, saying, God, please, Please, I just want another baby. I want another baby. And one day she sat down at the piano and began to sing. And she began to tell the Lord in her own way. It wasn't a song that she had learned. It wasn't someone else's song, which there's nothing wrong with that. But she just let her own heart begin to speak out loud to the Lord. And she began to play and she began to sing to the Lord and began to tell him, Dear God, um, I want you. I want you and I'm going to serve you and you're going to be faithful to me. I know you will. And she began to say the words, let me worship you in a way that compels you to move. And out of that, she began to write a song that we sing today that our church loves to sing. It's called Compel. And we're constantly singing that song. And everybody in our church gets to enjoy that song. And, and we put it up on, on, on YouTube and iTunes and all that other kind of stuff so that our church could enjoy hearing it over and over again. If you want to hear it and you've never heard it, then do all that fancy stuff and go find it. It's called Compel. But the reason why that song came up in her heart was because she was going through a difficult season. Let's remember once again that rare opportunities come in the middle of difficult seasons. Jesus was in the middle of one of the most difficult seasons of his life. He was in the middle of it all. But in that difficult season, he saw the opportunity and he capitalized on it. By the time you watch this sermon, I don't know if we're going to be still in quarantine or if we're going to be out of quarantine. Everything changes all the time. Every time I wake up, I, I look to see what our governor is saying. I look to see what our president is saying. I look to see what's going on because every single day something changes. But this is what I have to keep reminding myself that as bad as I want this season to hurry up and be over so we can get back to some form of normality where many of you who are anxious to get back to work, you can get back to work. This is a difficult season, not just for us, but for our entire country and for people in other countries, for that matter, across the world. This is a tough season. 
But if we pay attention, if we run to our hiding place, we will discover opportunities that will only be here during the course of this season. See, the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts for the lifetime of the opportunity. We have to realize that this is a difficult season. We better capitalize while we can. Let me summarize for you that there's hiding places that we find, that we create. And in those hiding places, three things happen. Number one is we come to the Lord and we humble ourselves. I love how the scripture says that the Lord opposes the proud, but he raises up the humble. The second thing that happens is that we begin to build our spiritual strength. See, sometimes you can battle a weakness for half of your life. You can battle a weakness and say, I wish I would stop doing this, or I wish I could stop thinking this way, or I wish I would, I wish I would stop saying that. It's in his presence. If you pray before the temptation, that's when we receive our strength for the temptation. If you wait for the temptation to all of a sudden start praying, it's usually too late by that point. It's called a pre-decision decision. It's like you don't get a chocolate sundae placed in front of you and then decide whether or not you're going to go on a diet. You have to make that decision before the chocolate sundae ever gets to the table. Do you know what I'm saying? And then number three, and again, I'm just summarizing for you that If you are in that difficult season, in that rough patch, we back up and say, if I have to go through this, if I have to walk through it, I don't want to walk through it, but if I have to, let something good come out of it. Let me just remind some of you, some of the seasons that many of you have gone through. Some of you have gone through divorces that have been incredibly painful. Many of you have lost jobs in your life, and that has been incredibly tough. Some of you have gone through seasons with your own health that almost broke you. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've gone through some difficult seasons, but I just want to let you know, I want to remind you that you came out of that season stronger than you were before you went into that season. You are stronger now than you were then. I know that season almost broke you. I know I know it was painful. I know it was hard. But look at yourself now. Look at yourself now. You're stronger than you've ever been. You are more focused than you've ever been. You say, well, everything is still going a little bit crazy. The whole world's going crazy. Don't worry about it, girlfriend. Everything's going crazy. But in the middle of crazy, you're stronger than you've ever been in your entire life. You have never been as strong as you are are right now. You say, well, Frankie, I need this to change and I need that to change. I need this to change. Go run to the hiding place. Go run to the hiding place. Remember, if you could fix your problems, you would have already. So if you haven't fixed it yet, it's because you're not capable of fixing it. If you could fix your marriage, you would have already. If you could fix your financial problems, you would have already. If you could fix your relationship with your children, you would have already. The reason why you haven't is because, like me, 
There are certain troubles. There are certain circumstances that are just too big for us. Let's never forget, it's not the season that breaks us. It's the way we walk through the season that breaks us. If you walk through the season one way, you could be broken. If you walk through it another way, you'll be stronger than you've ever been before. When you run to the hiding place, what you're saying is, God, I don't want to go through this without you. I don't want to be without you. I am hungry for you and and I want to have a closer relationship with you than I ever have before. Allow these tough seasons to be the seasons that you look back on and you say, I didn't like it. But the Lord did something in my heart. The Lord did something in my heart. He birthed a song. Now, it may not sound like compel, but it is your song. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Or one of the last things. I'm a preacher, so I got 17 closes. Just work with me. You know when you go to Hallmark? I don't even know if there's Hallmark anymore. Are there, is there still Hallmark? There's like eight people in this sanctuary right now because we're still in quarantine. Is there still a Hallmark? You know when you go to Hallmark to pick out a card? Let's say it's Valentine's Day and you're going to get a card for somebody you love. And you go and you pick out a card and you start opening it up and you go, no, that's not the one. You put it back. No, that's not the one. And you put it back. No, that's not the one. And then you go to the funny section. Oh, no, no, Snoopy's, I'm not really in a Snoopy mood. You know, that's not the one. And then you find the car and you open it up and go, oh, that's the one. What's the difference between, oh, that's the one and the one that, ah, that's not really the one. What is it? I'll tell you what it is. Somebody wrote the words in that card that sound like the words in your heart. Somebody wrote that. And you read those words and you went, that sounds like my heart. I'm going to buy this card. And you go and you hand the card to the person you love. Now, let's say you hand the card to the person you love, but you don't write anything inside of the card. You don't write your name. You don't write a note. You don't say, I love you. You don't say anything. The only thing you do is just hand the card and go, you tell me. The person you hand the card to, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? You know what they're going to say. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, why didn't you say anything? Because your words, your heart can't be replaced by any other words. So your song may not sound like compel. It may not sound like some of the hymns that we all love to sing as we were growing up. It may not sound like that, but I'll tell you this. God would rather hear your own words than the words that you've memorized from somebody else. He wants to hear you say, I love you. I love you. And I'll tell you this, if you had every single word in the English language at your demand, he would still want to hear you say, I love you. I love you. Here's the takeaway for today. The secret to power is praying in secret. Please don't ever forget that. I'll say it one more time. The secret to power is praying in secret. Let me pray for you before this service ends. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and bring you peace. We love you very much. Be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. Hey, everyone. 
I hope you enjoyed today's service. I hope you enjoyed the worship experience. I hope you enjoyed the message as well. Let me remind you once again, I'm not going to repeat the whole message, but go find a hiding place in your house. Go pick a room, establish a time, establish a daily appointment where you go hide and you pursue the presence of God. Remember, there is no such thing as a person who prays good and a person who doesn't pray good. The only thing you have to do is pray. Pray fervently. Even if you say, I love you, I love you, over and over again for an hour and a half, and that's all you say is, I love you, I love you. But pray fervently. Find a hiding place. Pray fervently. Everything depends on who you depend on. So pray fervently. And the second thing I want to remind us is connection right now is incredibly important. I know that we've been quarantined now for like 26 days or 27 days. It feels like 127 days. And it was easy to be connected, to to force ourselves to stay connected in the first week and the second week. When you start getting around to the third week, the fourth week, the fifth week, all of a sudden we can start getting a little lazy in pursuing one another. I know the men in my life group, whenever they text me and I see their text pop up, I go, yeah, I like to be reached out to. And so cause somebody else to feel that burst of emotion because you shot them a text to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. So remember, now is the most important time we could ever be connected. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you in the sanctuary. But between now and then, let's worship them together and let's stay connected. I love you. 